I've always found it fascinating when people discuss the calling. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've talked to folks, and every so often they're like, oh man, I just felt like I was supposed to be here, or I was called to do this. Is it the universe? Is it divine intervention? Is it something else? I honestly have no idea. But what I do know is most of the time, that feeling comes from trying to understand more about ourselves and where we fit into the world. My guest this week felt that calling, and from her perspective, she tried to fight it. Her plan was to stay in academia. I mean, she studied William Blake with Allen Ginsberg, the Allen Ginsberg. But time and time again, she felt called back to a different form of artistic expression, through clothing, through fashion, but ultimately, people. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is the stylist, Julie Regolia. Julie and I spoke about her life growing up in Brooklyn and the importance of being proud of who you are and where you're from. Last but not least, we discuss her illustrious fashion career and why she's returning to women's wear. So wait, why are you seeing a nutritionist? For well, fun? Well, I went to one because I, I mean, I was like... I was having massive anxiety, um, like literally to the point where I, I hated leaving the house and I was starting to avoid things. I mean, obviously I couldn't avoid work, but I would get nauseous before everything. And I don't know why. I mean, it's stress, like, you know, da, da, da. And um, so, yeah, so I started seeing a therapist. I went to a nutritionist. Like, like last year was all about like just getting well because i'm like okay i fly i'm literally on a plane like almost every week yeah so. well, i follow your instagram You're <laughs> always on the road. yeah so i mean like literally before flying or i would land somewhere i would have to go to work and i would i would be nauseous like even places where i would like work all the time oh, you know God. and yeah i don't know why i had this massive anxiety so part of it was going to a therapist and also weirdly the eye doctor um asked me if I get nauseous a lot and I was like yeah she's like yeah you've basically been living on a boat for years like because my glasses like what or the lack thereof which I'm not wearing at the moment I'm supposed to but um oh yeah so so yeah so I like so I basically went through this whole thing to improve my health but um, well, you look great. Thank you. <laughs> I feel really good. But yeah, but like one of the things that I never used to do is eat properly in in a scheduled sense like i eat well you know i'm super organic and blah, blah, blah. but um i never i never like took the time to eat in the morning especially you know to make it an, an effort of a time that's mine to take like almost like a meditation um is that like uh where do you think that came from like do you think it's like a, a family thing because just for for me i Getting up is about going to whatever you have to do in the morning. Yeah. So that usually means, at least for myself, is uh, neglecting my body. Right. So I try not to eat because I get crippling anxiety. Ah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I pump Lexapro. I've taken Ativan oh, when needed wow. to be. And so, and when I was like, oh, if I eat, it's going to trigger it. And yeah. like, what if I have to go to the bathroom? What if I'm, what if I'm stuck on the train and I have to go to the bathroom? Yeah. And you know, God forbid something happens and then I go to my meeting or wherever and everyone laughs at me and I'm a total loser and I go home and I, and I cry. Yeah. Like that would be things that I would have in my head. So yeah, I think nutritionist that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like I, I was on my own at a very early age. And so like, I 
maybe things that my parents should have, would have instilled, like didn't really stick as important. You know, I mean, obviously when I was a kid, I had, you know, food, water, shelter and the whole thing. But sure. like, but you know, when you're a teenager going to school, living on your own, working, la, 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 um, going to high school at that, um, you forget about yourself because you're, you're thinking from a survival instinct in a different way. I don't know. Um, well, you said you, you were like on your own, but like, so, cause let's, let's go back just a little bit. So you're, you, you grew up in Brooklyn, you said, yeah. right? In, in Canarsie? Canarsie. Yeah. And that's, that's a pretty, uh, that's a, that's a tough area. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many would mom and dad, brothers, sisters, what? Um, mom and dad and one brother. Okay. Yeah. Um, most of my family was from, I mean, my, par- my parents were both from Brooklyn. Um, I'm like, I come from a very blue collar Brooklyn family. My grandparents emigrated on my father's side from Italy, but they came over and they were Americans. You know, my, right. my grandfather was a factory worker. My grandmother didn't work. Um, yeah. And so, so yeah, I don't know. It was just a long line of like blue collar working class i think my grandfather was from russia i don't 100 percent know on my other side like right. that i don't know a lot about that side of the family um at one point he found out he was adopted so like everything is big like the last name of my, my mom's last name is not her real last name whoa yeah and no one can find it because he uh found out that he was adopted or his mom was not his real mom. I don't know. These are like sketchy stories. <laughs> my 98, I don't know. My, my mom will probably text me and correct me on this. But my, <laughs> my grandmother, she, uh, full-blooded American Indian, mm-hmm. but she found out that the parents who were her parents uh, when she was little were not her parents. And like at the age she's at now. So like in her nineties, no. she basically has this like, holy cow, everything I know is, is wrong. Wow. Um, yeah. I feel like that's going to start happening more and more as people like have fun and casually take DNA tests. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> that's so trippy. All of these little like, Oh, this is cool. Like I got one as a gift yeah. and then I, I re-gifted it to someone else. Seems but smart. Yeah. I, I, Sorry, Michael, but I re-gifted it to my brother, um, <laughs> who did it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, it's it's crazy. So that's how you're. That's how a 98 year old woman would find out. Yeah, now? she's not in a great spot, you know, no, for still. her to take very earth shattering emotional yeah. news. But that's uh, so crazy. That I mean, <laughs> I think about my family and how little I know. You know, like. Yeah. Even as, I mean, my grandparents, they're all dead now and whatnot, but like, but yeah, there's no one who knows anything. The fact that you can still learn, I mean, I don't know. I, at one point I wanted to dig deeper, but then I, the Sicilian side I can. Yeah. No, I mean, the Sicilian side is easy. Rogolia is like, like I was once going into Milan and, you know, and someone was like, ah, tu sei Siciliana. And I was like, uh, yeah. And he's like, Ragolia. And I'm like, and I was, I was like. I, I basically learned that I had been pronouncing my last name wrong all of my life. Oh, no. Yeah. Sicilian, apparently, it's Ragolia. It's not Ragolia. Whoops. Oops. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> well, all right, cool. So some, you know, security guard at, at, um, at uh, Customs basically informed me because he knew I was Sicilian because of my last name. That's okay. fire. Yeah. So you're in high school. You're at Canarsie. School's a little wild. Yeah. Um, that's an what, understatement. <laughs> what was the 
I mean, did you have any idea of like, what is my plan going to be when you're in high school? Like, what was that like? Honestly, the plan then was just get out. That was really just the plan. Uh, all I wanted to do was escape. Um, I mean, I, I was always, you know, I was always a book nerd. Like I was actually talking about this with my girlfriend Shamara, who I talked about, you know, reconnecting with who I went to middle school with. Like at around 10th grade, I kind of gave up all my friends or, or like I was a dancer, like most of my life growing up. Um, and I was even, you know, like, well, in Brooklyn, we had what were called boosters that were basically like the hip hop cheerleaders. Wow. I was a hip hop cheerleader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was like this tiny little gal with huge lungs and one of the, you know, one of the few white gals on the squad. Sure. Um, yeah. And because I, I danced and I hip hop danced. So, um, but, and it was also a safety mechanism because you were, you know, protected. You had a squad. Like it was, it was good to. Oh, I know. didn't even think of that. Yeah, I mean, oh, please, I have a Brooklyn walk, like, and I still sometimes go into it, like, I'll go meet a friend for dinner in, like, Bed-Stuy, and I catch myself coming off of the subway and going into my walk that I used to have in high school, like, I trained myself, like, to Whoa. walk a particular way, yeah, and, I mean, I dressed a particular way, partly because it was a safety mechanism, like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I discovered like punk and emo music or The Cure or Depeche Mode or any of that stuff growing up. I honestly had no idea, um, you know, maybe product of MTV generation and, sure. you know, whatever. I don't know. But, um, but I got deep into things to where I was reading philosophy books and stuff and I was wearing black and I had bright red lipstick on. Like I was pale and... Dope. You know, wearing all black with red lipstick. Yeah, but I was on the city bus going to school and this girl just, I mean, super crowded. Like you literally had no space. You didn't even have to hold anything. You just like, yeah, you just existed. And this girl looks at me and she goes, I don't like your lipstick. I'm like, okay. Like, I don't like your lipstick. Tense like, music. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then she's like, well, take it off. I'm like, Okay. And it's, you know, it's either I take it off or I get my ass kicked on a crowded bus. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I grabbed a dollar from my bucket and I took it off. And so you, I didn't have the ability to really express myself culturally because it was a safety mechanism to be, you know, like, like a bit of a hood rat, you know, like to just wear my clothes baggy to, to, I mean, I had long hair and like, you know, and would wear like tight shirts and baggy jeans and stuff. It was more safe than it was a style choice. Right. Because. Yeah. I mean, I feel like so much of that era or, or not era, but just like time in one's life is really. People either absolutely loved their adolescent and school life and others, you know, like you and I, we were talking earlier. I just, I'm fine with it. I mean, we talked about escaping. That's literally why I moved to New York. Yeah. I was just like, peace can't handle this yeah you know mm -hmm. uh so you wanted to escape and did you finish school yeah yeah, yeah. i finished school well, and that's then, good yeah and then i moved to the city which you know it's crazy because i grew up 40 minutes outside of manhattan but you move 40 minutes outside of manhattan and and like instantly I was like, oh, this is what life is supposed to be like. This is the stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, immediately for like a shy gal who hardly ever spoke in school, aside from like to teachers and whatever, but I hardly ever spoke. I suddenly became boisterous. I had a lot of friends, you know, like I, 
I clubbed, I went out, like my first, you know, orientation meeting, I met friends at NYU, like... Oh, so you went to NYU? I started at NYU, yeah, it's okay. a funny story about that too. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, you know, just crossing a bridge was like a whole other life form, you know, wow. just, yeah, and I mean, I could dress however I wanted to, I mean, I could buy like weird clothes at, you know, whatever. I can wear weird John Fluvog shoes or like... I mean, Fluvog! Fluvogs! <laughs> yeah, I was the coolest girl in my dorm because I had Fluvogs. Wow. Like, yeah. So would you remember like, you know, your first sort of look that you had that you were like, this is now me expressing myself and no one can tell me. So oh, it sounds totally. like they were Fluvogs. <laughs> Fluvogs, but yeah, the first thing I did was dye my hair purple. Okay. Um, I got a job at, there was a vintage shop called Antique Boutique, and I worked there while in school. Was it like St. Mark's um, or something? On Broadway, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, Broadway and 8th Street. It was the coolest vintage shop. Um, and I got a job there. I dyed my hair purple. So I had like access to, you know, like everything, like <laughs> from 70s polyester shirts, which I wore to, you know, leather jackets and, you know, like... I got way into industrial music and like, you know, black leather jeans and, you know, stuff like that. Like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I was, a f I mean, I was always an amalgam of different music tastes, like stylistically. Um, you know, even when I was like younger, I would like, as I was saying before, I would try to sample something, but then almost get my ass kicked. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I grew up, you know, loving like emo music to hip hop. Like I grew up on hip hop. I grew up in, in Brooklyn, of course, it's in my yeah. blood, you know? So like, but like, you know, I would go to, to goth nights and then go to raves, you know, like I just, I loved the culture of whatever was available to me because it was so free. Right. And, you know, and yeah, I was right in the center of it. I could walk everywhere. So. That's awesome. <laughs> so now you're, you know, you're at NYU, you're kind of figuring out more of like who you are and, and what you want to be. Like what sort of, you know, how did that freedom affect obviously your, like the career choice and stuff that you, that you were thinking at that time? Or was it just like, I'm high on the excitement of freedom? <laughs> it was a little bit of that, maybe more than, um, <laughs> than I should have. But um, I mean, I was, yeah, I mean, I was a film major. All I wanted to do was be a film major. I don't know how, again, I don't know how or why, like how my influence coagulated into becoming this, but I only applied to two schools, USC and NYU, and I got into both. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, Those are pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was good. It was, you know, my parents wanted me to go to a SUNY school because it was cheap and, yep. you know, and like they were not helping me with school. So it's like, you are on your own kid. Like, like we cannot help you, you know, like, and you know, that's fine. But yeah. And so I started out as a film major thinking I wanted to do film. In maybe about three months, I realized I had zero interest in making films. It was, I don't know if it was like, maybe, you know, and maybe this is something that I, I felt, and I still sometimes feel, even in my career now, like I very strongly felt that difference between me and where I came from and the world that I was in. Like, mm. you know, a school like NYU, a program like the Tisch Film Program, you know, you were there with the sons, nephews, grandsons of famous people. And, you know, a couple of them were actors like in the in the program. And, you know, and, and my my extreme insecurity about where and how I grew up 
was a big factor in, in maybe my decision to leave ultimately because I never felt like I fit in because I was some poor kid from Brooklyn, you know, like, like I was some kid from, you know, I lived in the projects in high school. So right. like, you know, for me to be in this world was so foreign. It was, you know, like I felt like a fake and I felt like I could never keep up, you know? Right. I never had a last name that was, uh, you know, the last name of something, you know, I didn't. Kennedy. Vanderbilt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and this might never have been anything necessary. It could have all just been in my head, my own insecurity, you know, but um, I just, you know, as people would talk about like the films that they're already making and blah, blah, blah. I was just like, it wasn't something that I felt. I no longer felt connected to it because it was a craft building as much as it was a society or a, um, I don't know, or just a club that I, I just wasn't really, I, I just wanted to make stuff. I just yeah. wanted to make pretty things, you know? Um, and I picked up a camera for the first time in film school actually. And what I wanted to make were pictures that ultimately, you know, and um, because I had a framing and sequencing class that just blew my mind because I was, thinking about the creation of images more so than the creation of moving images. And, mm. you know, my eye kind of stopped there, you know, it was more intrigued by the image, like, you know, the, the frame of one image would arrest me more so than the thought of a series of frames to create something beautiful. So, um, so yeah, so there I was at NYU, like feeling like an outsider, even though I was an insider in terms of like cool culture, I was an outsider in terms of my world, ultimately, right. or the, the choice that I thought I would pursue. Um, and then I became really obsessed with cameras. And, um, you know, but there I was at NYU, and I'm paying for this myself. And I was like, I can't hang around here and figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I had to make a decision of what I would do. So I ultimately left NYU. Um, and because... Well, After I, how long? One semester. Okay. Yeah. Um, a lot can happen in one semester. So. No joke. Yeah. It was life altering. But yeah. here, was, here was the cool thing. So, so it was cool. It wasn't cool at the time, but then it was cool. So, you know, so I ended up going to Brooklyn College because I was like, okay, I can figure it out. But also Allen Ginsberg was teaching at Brooklyn College. Whoa. Yeah. So I was like, so I went to Brooklyn with the intention of taking a class with Allen, which I had the extreme fortune of doing. And I was in his last class before he died. Oh. Wow. Yeah. So I studied William Blake with Allen Ginsberg. That's, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. That's far better than, well, I don't know. I couldn't say, but I would imagine it's far better than the NYU experience. Yeah, it definitely was. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, from, from all things confusing and conflicted, it resonated itself in one of the most memorable experiences of my life. And at the same time, I, um, I was taking photo classes and the head of the photo department became my mentor. He really took to me. I had keys to the dark room. I, he would take me to museums. And wow. Yeah, yeah. And he really became my life mentor. He urged me to write. He, you know, he really 
he really was pushing me toward being an artist and mm-hmm. being a proper photographer. And um, so, so I had these incredible, incredible men around me, you know, and probably for the first time in my life, having, you know, these incredible men around me who basically just, just showed me things and, and inspired me. And, you know, I mean, from Alan, it's like you, you mention. I don't know, you can mention a band and he would know the band and then he would go into a tangent about something or other, you know, about like, and ultimately he knew the person in the band, you know, because Alan knew everybody in the world. He's Alan Ginsberg. (laughs) But also he's one of the most curious souls I had ever encountered, you know, And, and that level of curiosity was so, so, that was what I was craving, that level of curiosity more so than just being a part of something for the sake of being able to say I'm a part of something. And Mm. I think that ultimately became the driving force in anything I did from that point forward. Yeah. Because you basically go from being in a place where expression isn't necessarily welcomed or encouraged to then continuing to find a way of how can I express myself and what is the environment I want to be in to learn how to understand myself better, if it, it feels like, from what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, you know, obviously this is leading you to all these various art forms, which are all about expression. Yeah. So you're studying photography, rolling with Ginsburg, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when, when did, because I know, like, you weren't just like, oh, I'm going to be a stylist and like that, that happened. <laughs> no. Like what, what became next after that? Well, I, so I was a philosophy major in the end. That was my, um. Wow. Yeah. Even more abstract. <laughs> this <Yeah>. is great. <laughs> <laughs> philosophy became, I mean, philosophy was a bit of a curiosity in high school. Um, <clears throat> but, um, but you know, I, I don't, I don't, again, I don't even know how philosophy, philosophy made sense to me then in a comparative sense in the, in, in my own interest in aesthetics and maybe all of these stimuli coming to me all of a sudden in a different way than I had ever experienced in my youth. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the aspect of comparative literature, comparative art forms, you know, what is art? Why is art? You know, like all of these things, what defines everything, you know, from a sociological standpoint to a creative standpoint, the, you know, the factors of my being a poor kid from Brooklyn to, you know, the most brilliant artworks at the Met, you know, like where these things find, find form and unity and I don't know, some common place. So it, it, found itself in philosophy. So I concentrated on aesthetics, maybe with the back of my mind thinking, if one day I have to be a lawyer, I can maybe like, you know, go to law school and do that. I sure. don't know. But, um, but yeah, so um, anyway, so I was living in Dumbo. I had two roommates. I had like $300 rent, you know, like. Yeah, back when Dumbo was livable by <laughs> regular <Yeah>. people. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no, because I also got mugged on the way to school. Like, oh, heavens. All my years growing up in Brooklyn and living in the projects especially, I never got mugged. Okay. Like, I never, I mean, there were a couple of attempts in school, but I, like, tough street kid, somehow managed to, to get out of it. Those are other stories we can go into or not. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, I was going to school in Dumbo. 
and I had to walk through, you know, to to the two three train up in um, Brooklyn Heights. So I got mugged on the way to school. So yeah, so it was like God. when when people can afford it, but <laughs> you also, <laughs> you know, you don't have the security of all those like you know baby stores and restaurants and whatever. <laughs> so, I'm so sorry, that's awful. It's fine. It's, I mean, it was amazing. It took that long actually for it to happen. You know, as a where I grew up, so it's fine. It's yeah. totally fine. Um, and everything, you know, I'm a big believer that everything happens for reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the the decisions that occurred after then um, were, you know, were not positive at the time, but as a result, dot, 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 we get to where I am now. You know, so anything that happens, I'm ultimately comfortable with because, yeah, I ended up leaving school because I was a bit, I was a bit mortified about going to the train at 6 a.m. every morning to get to school. Um, and, you know, and I just, I don't know. I, um, I just, I, I had a, I had a, a, I had a piss poor attitude actually about it, I guess, you know, it was really like, like part of it as well. I, um, I don't know, you know, Alan had died. Um, I had taken all the photo classes I could. I had like, I mean, I had maybe what a year left of school, and I left, you know, like just a bit shook perhaps, but, um, but also playing it tough, you know, to be like, oh, you know, whatever, I don't want to go to school. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I didn't, have, I didn't have my parents forcing me into anything. So Was your mentor still around? Was he gone? Yeah, yeah. No, he was there. Um, he was there. He, well, okay, so then we get into how fashion started. Um, yeah. This is, I, I'm very tangential, sorry. No, so. this is great. <laughs> I, I, there's a lot of... Interesting pieces that that are just like lurking in the background that I see how a lot of this formed. (laughs) Well, Dumbo. So Dumbo comes up because I had a roommate who was a budding fashion photographer and I was... I was anti-fashion. Like, I literally... No, come on. Seriously. I saw... I So I wore a... I I completely shifted into this like uniform of dockers and black shirts. Like, I don't know. After I left... Somewhat (laughs) fashionable. Yeah. I I know what you mean. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, no, I I didn't want to be recognized for what I was wearing. I... But yet, yeah, people would compliment me on my outfits. I'm like, man, (laughs) come on. I can't quit you. I can't. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Even at a certain point when I was going to go to law school, like people, I would go on interviews, you know, to, to, and, and people would be like, oh, look at you. You're like an Allie McBeal. You're so cute. I'm like, man. Allie McBeal. Yeah. "Mm, That's kind of sexist, but sure. Okay. Yeah. But like, you know, immediately (laughs) instead of looking at my resume, people, and it's not like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I, I don't think about what I'm wearing at any point. I genuinely don't like, like I have a strange relationship to clothes. Like I love them. But I'm not, I don't wear them to be noticed. I enjoy them because it's like a sculpture, you know? It's like the fabric of this and the fabric of this and how they scrunch and move. And I don't know. So when... It's a very philosophical outlook there. <laughs> I suppose. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, so fashion... fashion, basically, everything I'm about to say now is basically an example of how fashion wouldn't let me go um so yeah so I had this budding fashion photographer and I would do these like little shoots with him you know because I got 50 bucks cash 100 bucks cash you know it paid my rent um you know yeah and then I was like cocktail waitressing at night so I had like all this money you know money 
like, yeah. $500, you know, <laughs> but no, but I mean, I paid my rent, you know, through, through the two things. And I, I honestly did not care about styling. I was just doing it because, you know, I was helping my roommate and it was cash. And, um, and, and he was a bit of, um, can I, can I curse? Can I you say, can say a whatever bit you of a want. dick? Yeah. He was a bit of a dick. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and one day he said, um, he was like, you can never make it in this industry. And I was like, yeah, well, fuck you. I can. You know, and meanwhile, I didn't even care. I didn't want to be a stylist. But yeah, like, I'm sorry. But I'm such a street rat that like, if someone tells me I can't do something, my first instinct is to be like, well, fuck you. Yeah. And I go do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, obviously you don't respond well to anyone telling you that you can't do something. No. Which no one should respond well to that. It's, <laughs> it's kind of messed up. Yeah. But I mean, you know, but. There's there's the flip where you can be like, okay, I suck, you know, da, da, da. and like I always take that like that fuck you approach. Yeah. Um, don't don't bathe in the negative energy. Yeah, exactly. So I um I put together a little resume and I sent it to NYU uh, to NYU to MTV. Um, and funnily enough, I had styled my first ever editorial shortly before that had come out, like shitty, like whatever. It was just you know the first printed thing I had ever done. And someone at MTV had seen it and said, this is the kind of energy that we need here. And so wow. when I went in for, yeah, like, so when I went in for my interview, someone had seen, you know, this story before and they were like, oh, someone pointed the story out to me before. Like, oh yeah. And then I was hired by MTV, like straight away. Few things are as important to me as scent. If I don't smell good, I can't feel good. Lately, I've been obsessed with Fleur. Fleur makes fantastic, non-toxic, gender-free perfumes that smell incredible. For a luxurious perfume that's all about good, clean, and fun, try Fleur. That's P-H-L-U-R. Fleur's online process is simple. You get to know each of their scents with pictures, words, and even music playlists on their site. Because a perfume is more than a scent. Then you actually try them on your own skin and see how it works for your life. The office, the weekends, you name it. Fleur's fragrances are hypoallergenic, cruelty-free, vegan, sustainably sourced, and packaged with recycled materials. Look, they're doing this thing right, and they're not destroying the world in the process. I've been wearing Hepcat, and it's quickly become my go-to scent for everything. It's a subtle, warm scent that's perfect for the winter. And this is perfume, folks. It's not some toilet water that goes away in 10 minutes, or some silly thing you spray into the air and walk into. Fleur spins four times more per bottle on ingredients than the other folks, and you can tell from the moment you put it on. Go to Fleur.com today and use promo code BLAMO to get 20% off your first custom Fleur sample set. Pick three cents to try and get credit towards a full-size bottle of your favorite. Not bad, right? The sample kit is less than $20. That's promo code BLAMO at Fleur.com to get your first three Fleur fragrance samples at 20% off. P-H-L-U-R.com. Well, who, well, first off, who told you, like, hey, I'm going to make a, a little packet resume thing and send it to MTV? Who's, who said, hey, do that? No, I just did it. I was like, I don't know. I like music. Like, what can I do with this fashion stuff? Like, so, I like music. I mean, that's quite the, the whiplash of, you know, not only were you like, because also I think at that time MTV is like the top of the top. And yeah. so someone's like, you can't do it. And you're like, not only am I going to do it, but I'm actually going to go do it at the best place to do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, I didn't really know 
you know, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I didn't have fashion people around me or anything like that. You know what I mean? I yeah, just well, was, probably for the better. It sounds like yeah, perhaps you know. But um, and I didn't have like I did honestly. I didn't think about magazines at the time because I I was anti-fashion, so. You know, I wasn't thinking about places like Vogue or whatever, because I'm not a society girl at this time. This is where Vogue, you know, what Vogue represented for me. Um, And, you know, and I wouldn't have even known the first, but but I knew music. And so I went to somewhere that was familiar and safe for me. I pursued that. And yeah, I mean, I think I sent it through like some like general box. I don't know. (laughs) Honestly, I must have faxed it. I'm assuming because how else did you do things? I mean, I'm not that old, but right. I don't think I. I don't know. Maybe I emailed it. I don't know. I have no concept of. I don't have a, a full memory. It's but, a blur. So, yeah. So you're at MTV now. So yeah. So I got hired at MTV, and my job was to dress. You know, some of the VJs and some of the celebrity guests, and um, and it was when I started. It was right during Fashion Week or right before Fashion Week. So yeah. Then I was going to fashion shows and. I still had that like. What year is this, if you don't mind? I don't remember. I genuinely don't remember because okay, like I think we can get somewhat of an era though. If you're saying VJs, do you early, remember any VJs? Early two thousands. Okay. Yeah. Um. Uh. Carson Daly. David Holmes. I didn't dress him. Someone okay. else did. Um. But you dressed Carson yeah. Daly. Yeah. Carson Daly. Shout out Carson Daly. Ananda Lewis. Ananda Lewis. Yeah. yeah. Sway? Um, no. Hmm. Um, and someone else whose name I can't remember. Um, the guy who did the news. Oh. Uh, Kurt Loder. Kurt Loder. Yeah. Love Kurt Loder. Yeah. So I would like leave little outfits in their rooms. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I was so shy. I never really talked to anybody. I would just leave little outfits. <laughs> where did this come from i don't know they came and they left (laughs) yeah you would leave like three options and they would pick which option you 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 know from what you left but yeah i like i would just put it there and run (laughs) so you're going to fashion shows i'm going to fashion shows um and you know and the fashion show thing was just like like even that i was like oh this is crazy like people give you drinks and people just like blah blah and i was like front row at shows you know and i was like this is just weird like it was weird to me yeah you know like i barely had the money to get on the subway and i'm sitting front row with champagne in my hand like recognition and attention huh yeah 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 yeah. and so um yeah like blondie and dave recognized me from having been in like i was literally sitting next to dave at a um betsy johnson show Dave from Blondie. Okay. And he was like, Oh yeah. Hey, I remember you. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, you know, like he and Debbie Harry are like, yeah, we remember you. I'm like, okay, cool. Awesome. Um, yeah, that was quite, that was, that was very seductive. And I think, you know, so fashion then for me represented an ability to have something that I was never able to have, you know, like, free things would be thrown at me and whatever like like you know i suddenly had some cool sneaker or you know Mm -hmm. like or some you know designer thing and and i didn't have that stuff growing up you know and um and i never thought i would and i was anti it and you know i mean who knows if i was anti it or if that was just my reaction to not being able to have it to just you know to just down it you know some judgy kid um but yeah, so it was seductive in that way. 
So I was like, oh, okay. But, but it also reinforced what my idea was of fashion in a sense. You know, I was like, oh, it's just like world where people run through, you know, like with cars and money and, 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 and you know, and I just... The untouchables. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was still an outsider, you know, I just... Were I, you though? I was. In my head, I was. Okay. I mean, I never felt comfortable. Um, it was strange. It was really strange to me. I was, you know, I was a book nerd and like, and yeah. And I mean, I was not part of a society. I was there. I was trying something, you know? And then, um, yeah, but so, you know, and then, you know, you start to make more friends, like more young people like you and doing shoots and models, you become friends with them and da, 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 da. And people would talk about their agents. And I was like, Oh yeah, my agent, my agent. And I was like, oh, maybe I need an agent. And here's yeah. another thing. Here's another, here's like 0. 0.349, I don't know, of how fashion <laughs> said you're here. Okay. So <laughs> I take my little portfolio. I didn't stay at MTV very long. Um, I, uh, I don't know why. I, I honestly, I don't know why. It just, you know, maybe because I, I did feel like an outsider, you know, and... It just felt Sensing strange. a theme here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I just, you know, I never knew. I, again, I still, it wasn't that I was looking to be in fashion. It wasn't like I was seeking a goal in this place. I was, I mean, I thought I would be an academic. I really genuinely expected I would be a curator or, you know, a photographer or you know, a professor. Like, mm -hmm. these are the, the things that I thought I would be doing. So, mm. so all of this was just extra. And it was, you know, it was more like I was there as, as an observer. It was all a case study more than it was my future. Um, so I never, yeah, I didn't stay places long because I never felt like it was my life. Right. Um, but then we cut to friends talking about their agents. And I took my portfolio of, you know, tests and little whatever I had done at the time and I dropped it off at an agency called Streeters because of all the agency names, that one reflected me the best. I'm hmm. streety, you okay. know? So I dropped my book off and I got a phone call back the next day saying like, yeah, you're not ready for representation, but Alex White is looking for a new first assistant. And so I met with Alex White and then I became her assistant and I was a W. And that's like yet another thing where the world said like this is where you're supposed to be kid like fight it all you want Whoa. like battle your own demons like get out <laughs> of your own shit you're in fucking fashion <laughs> whoa yeah so there i was so at, you you start learning like very like professional business sense in that world yeah exactly and i started to respect it like mad there because I saw how much work goes into the making of a fashion shoot. Yeah. So it's like all of my bias, all of my judgment, all of the things that I was probably in my head accusing the, the industry of having toward me, like that insider outsider thing. I realized like how much of that was me being judgy because there was so much effort that went into the making of a fashion story. Like, I would sit at a color copier with books upon books upon books. All the art books that I lived for, mm -hmm. like, would be in my hands at a copier to make ginormous mood boards, mm. you know? And then, like, Alex is one of the most brilliant stylists ever. So, you know, like, seeing what would transform from what was on a board to 
what was in an issue of W was magical to me. Mm-hmm. Like that's where it hit me that fashion indeed is an art form. And so it like, you know, it, it shook me in a way that made me just drive that much more, you know? And, and I, um, I mean, I, I didn't work for Alex for very long. I probably, I was a good assistant, but I was so shy and like, I was still such an outsider mm. in my head. And I mean, even today, I still see, I still I think say of the myself. pattern continues here. Yeah, yeah. Being like an outsider. Totally. But I think, you know, it's funny that that photo professor who was my mentor, he, the thing that he loved about my photographs and what took him to kind of taking me under his wing was he said, I saw things like a child all the time. Like my, my photography was from the angle of what would be a child's perspective, you know, Mm -hmm. IE down low. Um, you know, I had a wide eyedness perhaps that, you know, was like a kid's wondering, like everything was always brand new to Mm. me as if I had never seen it or experienced it. And in a lot of ways, a lot was brand new. I was, seeing things you know that i had never i had never been able to experience before so i think fashion resonated for me when when that kind of childlike wonder appeared in seeing how fashion stories do indeed happen yeah and and how they can speak to an audience um you know i guess the outsider part of me wondered who is that audience? Like, who, who are these women reading these magazines? You know, like, are they women who have socials and, you know, lunches and, you know, right. and wear couture to go, you know, to Bergdorf's together? I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, like, I didn't understand um, who it was, but then I became that person reading them. Um, yeah. Well, how did that make you feel when you were reading them then? I mean, it was like, you know, there, there are things, there were things about it that, um, that became aspirational. Like, you know, maybe still that street kid was something to prove, you know, like, like to one day be able to afford that dress, those shoes or whatnot, you know, so there was something to aspire to. There was something to um, be inspired by in terms of how stories came together. And also just as equally, there was something to loathe, which for me was always an impetus. Um, so you get the full emotional, you know, <laughs> range in experiencing these editorials and shoots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, and I try and and you know it's always the thing that i try perhaps in the editorials that i do now is to to have a similar range of emotions you know like or or a varied range of emotions um as i'm going through the process you know um because i do think that that fashion Fashion is an emotional industry. And I mean, I think the way fashion is changing now is is showing that. I think social media is showing what an emotional industry it can be. I mean, you can see how someone like a diet Prada can make or break a brand, you know? I mean they could Diet Prada, the Instagram account that calls out Yeah. Calls out like faux and bad 
practices in the in, in the industry? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, that's an Instagram account that appeals to the emotions of people. You know, like the anger about, um, you know, about racial injustice. Yeah. Your, yeah. you know, the frustration of a designer who is seeing his or her bag ripped off by another designer or shoes or you know runway sure. look, what have you. So you know, there's there's a level of emotion in fashion that can be good, can be bad, but I think there's something in that cross-section of joy and beauty, loathing, warmth, frigidity, I don't know, you know, any number of things sure. in, in fashion imagery that can come through. That cross-section for me is very exciting. Yeah. Even if I don't agree with it, I still find it exciting the experience of it all yeah, yeah yeah so i don't know and i think that's the thing that i'm always seeking in storytelling well your your images um so i mean i've seen obviously tons of stuff that you've done from either man of the world or at large or just like independent things that you've done on your own the wall street journal things and something that for me that the kind of corollary theme and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this <laughs> that I've always felt from your images at the is that they're people that are relatively feel untouchable like because most of them are celebrities you know Jake Gyllenhaal whatever Joan Hill but it is a very welcoming look <laughs> it is a very um approachable is not the word I want to use but I'm a not a gifted speaker so I it, that's all I can use but it feels like Maybe I could do that. Maybe I could look like that mm -hmm. versus some other stylists who do things that I've looked at it and I'm like, I keep, I like go back to it and I'm like, ah, this, I would never even wear this. This is stupid, you yeah. know? And your stuff is like, is inspiring to me. And also, again, you know, and maybe this makes more sense now that we were talking about, you know, the stuff that you've been through and, and your outlook and what you, if anything, dislike about the industry. Uh, because I think the work that you've made is, is almost a direct response from that. You know, like these images of people that like you look at it and you see it and you can put yourself in there and it's exciting. So, Thanks. yeah, I, it means a lot. I think, I think it's, it's very special. Thank you. That means, that means a lot to hear. It's, um, it's funny because it's not like anything that I seek to do in my images. I think it's just the only way I know how to do things. And it's funny listening to you, hearing you say, you know, the, the images seem approachable. And, you know, and just having had the conversation that we've had, I'm like, wow, I wonder if subconsciously that is something that I'm trying to achieve is a sense of approachability. You know, even if you're not going to go by the exact outfit that Jake Gyllenhaal or a male model or anybody is necessarily yeah. wearing, just that they don't feel like there's something that you could never be or aspire to or, or wear something similar. Um, I, I guess I never really thought about it in that way, but maybe subconsciously there is that part of me that, that, um, that is creating images in that way. And it's interesting because, you know, in the last year or so, I've, I've deeply returned to women's wear mm -hmm. after, you know, I mean, when I was fashion director of Man of the World, it was 
it was maybe the thing that people, you know, suddenly were like, who's this chick? You know, like. It was pretty incredible. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, you know, a magazine that came out of nowhere mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and it defined a style that really wasn't being defined in men's magazines. Um, and then, you know, at large was, was kind of like the, the younger brother of that, you know, mm-hmm. when, when there, and then, you know, when I left at large, it was, it was with the idea of expanding the, the types of people I could tell stories with and about. Um, and so, you know, women's wear felt, it, it was strange to me that, that as a woman, you know, and one of the few women in men's wear, um, yeah. it's, it was strange to me that, that I was only styling men at a point because it was, I'm a woman, <laughs> you know, but also <laughs> I, the, the reason why I, I tell fashion stories is I think primarily to talk about people. So there was a, a whole group of people that I, I was not, I was not studying, you know, and so returning to women's wear has been really incredible for that. And I think the, the things that I learned in being a menswear specific stylist for that while, now when I tell stories about women, that is my intention to have them be just as approachable. Because for me growing up, the women in magazines did not seem approachable. You know, they were something that I could never be. I will never be at that, you know, garden party in this dress, you know, with a thousand dollar dishes and, you know, and all that jazz. I never would be, you know, this, that or the other thing. Whereas now I feel like the women's wear that I'm doing, I can, I can, I can roll with that girl, you know, like Mm. I can, I can be that girl. And a lot of other women can be that girl or, you know, and just at the end of the day, you're making beautiful images and it's not about, I don't know. I think women's wear for me for a while, it felt like female models were models and guys were allowed to be humans. Like, like even if Mm. it was a model I was making a fashion story with, I was able to let them be who they were. And I think that's maybe the approachable aspect of how, you know, how I approach fashion stories, runway shows, whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, whereas women, it's, it seems more recent that female models are, are the females that they are as opposed to the canvas for the clothes. Right. And so for me in, in making this shift back to women's wear, it, um, it was very important that I treated women in the way that I regarded men in the stories that I did. So, so, you know, and it's interesting with what's happening in fashion now, you know, per the Me Too movement and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and various rights assessments that, um, we're making as a whole, um, it's it's so wonderful to me to see that being regarded and and women are not just canvases for the clothes they are the humans who wear them and that's how i think our industry can only grow and prosper you know in terms of like the little free time that you have are you still doing shoots or are you working with like personal stylists now or I, what's what's the evolution i mean it's it's funny because when I think about like 
When I think about the combination of things that I do as a stylist from editorial to runway to celebrity styling to advertising, the the thing that resonates for me is that it's all as if it's one magazine in a sense. Like I um I don't consider myself to be a celebrity stylist, but I've recently I mean, I, I style a lot of celebrities and I've had yeah. the pleasure of styling like some of the biggest ones out there. But um but I I like I I work with a few different male celebrities at the moment. One of them is Riz Ahmed, who I'm obsessed with. <laughs> he is such a such a mind. Um and probably the culmination of everything that that brought me to to fashion in in a way is what he's expressing through what he's doing in his craft as a musician, as an actor, as a writer, as a you know, as a future director. Um, he, you know, he's taking from his history, from where he lives, you know, from his culture, and creating characters out of that. And mm. what we're doing with his clothes is an an expression of that. You know, like. I mean, he was he was at the Toronto Film Festival with the kurta on, you know, because that is who he is. He is right. a Muslim man. He's Pakistani, and you know, and and bringing things like that, while at the same time, always keeping in mind that he is a Hollywood lead actor. <laughs> yeah, and bringing those things together is so fresh and so new, you know, because I um, I don't think a lot of Hollywood puts its real self out there on the red carpet in the way that Riz is so destined and determined to do. Mm. So it's, for me, it's very exciting because it feels like we're having the same conversation, you know, like, like we're both just trying to talk about humans, um, you know, from him wearing clothes that are from sustainable designers or independent designers from you know, areas like India or Pakistan, which we have done on the red carpet. You know, mm -hmm. we've celebrated designers that don't get to be celebrated, especially on a red carpet, um, which is for me very exciting because everything is always a story about the person I'm dressing, you know? So in, in working with someone like Riz, it's, uh, it's, it's quite cool to be able to do that on a regular basis. Like we can nerd out on things and he teaches me things like he'll send me some, you know, some some garment, um, you know, that I, I don't know anything about because of my background. You know, it's it's and then I'm like, OK, cool. Oh, that looks a bit like this that, you know, Craig Green did or, you know, right, like right. Da, 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 da. and I go down a rabbit hole <laughs> and, you know, and I'm like, OK, cool. Well, we need to wear this and that. And, you know, and even in working with some major designers, it's it's why why riz will wear a particular thing is because it represents who he is you know so like like for the baftas last week he he wore a dunhill suit that they did bespoke which was so wonderful and working with mark directly like sitting in a room with mark and riz and you know creating a garment for him you know a one and a half breasted jacket that for him feels like it's, you know, of his personal culture. Right. But yet he's wearing a dope ass suit. <laughs> and he's, you know, and he's like best dressed on the red carpet and, you know, and getting the accolades and like housewives in America can look at him and be like, oh, he's hot. 
Right. You know, so he's breaking down racial stereotypes through that, you know, and that is so dope to me. It's so, so exciting. So, I mean, to, to look back at this, did you ever think that, you know, so much of the stuff that you're doing now is really just setting up a better environment for people who may be asked to wipe their lipstick off? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm as altruistic as that. I'm still, you know, I'm a part of a machine. Um, but I feel like that's, that's where you're going. It's what I, it's what I would hope to do. And it's interesting because with social media, like I'm trying, I'm trying to be more honest about who I am and where I've come from because Mm -hmm. for so many years I, I hid who I am and where I come from because I felt it was the only way to be a part of a fashion society that I am a part of, you know? Um, right. I mean, I don't have a Brooklyn accent because I, I really didn't speak much. I was so quiet. Interesting. And shy. Yeah. Like my parents have the thickest Brooklyn accents. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I mean, I grew up around, you know, people who would say, what are you doing? You know, and yeah, da, 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 yeah. like, or, you know, or like very like, all this, all the different stereotypes of the Brooklyn accent, sure. you know, from from where I lived, they I I avoided them because I was so shy and everyone scared me, you know. Like I mean, I grew up in a tough neighborhood, and and even where it wasn't tough, people yelled. Yeah. So um so yeah so I don't have a Brooklyn accent, but like, but um, but like I feel. I feel it's important maybe now to to talk more about who I am and where I'm from because I I was embarrassed by it or ashamed by it for so long because I didn't think that I could make it in a fashion world as as the person that I actually am. Yeah. Um well now I mean I think your story and the experiences you have I think as beautiful as they are, they're also incredibly empowering, right? Because yeah. people can see this and, oh, okay. Yeah, there is, there is chance for me. There is a hope for me. There is. Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah. And so with social media, which, which scares the hell out of me, I'm mortified. <laughs> that, that, that's good. That's, I think all social media should, there should be a healthy concern. <laughs> I mean, if it was up to me, I would not do it because I'm scared. I like, it's awkward for me to put, a photo of myself out or mm. to to try and celebrate something that I've done, you know, that's really uncomfortable to me. Like I'm not a showy person mm-hmm. and it doesn't come naturally to me. I mean, I have beautiful, beautiful friends who make their life on Instagram and they're brilliant at it and they're so wholesome and so pure in what they're doing. But when I do it, I feel like a faker. I don't know, but nah. that's... I mean, maybe internally you're saying that, but I've seen your stuff. It never comes off that way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, you know, but, but anyway, but I'm realizing now in, you know, for good or for bad, I don't know, maybe no one even wants to hear it, but I'm trying to tell a few more personal stories on Instagram. Like, like the other day I posted something from... I recently bought a farmhouse upstate and... Um, Congrats. Thank you. um it's yeah it's the first thing i've ever owned and um (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) yeah um i'm 
like a real adult now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I bought this old farmhouse because it's such a project. You know, it's like it's an underdog. I mean, the foundation is crumbling. It's like it's Uh-oh. in need of so much work. But but I love an underdog. I love that that it needs just this attention and and warmth and you know and many coats of paint and things and stuff but um yeah but like i um i put something on instagram the other day because i like there's one room where um there's so many layers of wallpaper that i've been stripping for weeks and like and then i got to a layer that they painted over where the paint was not coming up um yeah because there are other rooms where i've literally been chiseling paint to expose old wallpaper it's quite rad but um but anyway in this room the so i just decided to paint over it but the creases between the wallpaper i couldn't i couldn't patch myself because the texture of the wall would then change and i didn't want the wall to be super smooth cuz i don't want it to feel like a new build house you know like i want the the hand of the person who swept the plaster across like i wanted to keep that you know the like the screwed up aspects of it I want to maintain in some way but anyway so between the seams and the wallpaper I just bought this like sand paint to um to create lines to basically mask you know where the depression is from the wallpaper groove so so I have these these lines and and I painted them white because um I was then painting the walls Mm -hmm. anyway long story short it reminded me of the popcorn ceilings in the projects and like yeah you know like most most public houses or you know office buildings or whatever they do those popcorn ceilings because they're cheap and Mm -hmm. efficient and um fire retardant so um yeah i stared up at those popcorn ceilings for a long time and you know and dreamed of getting the hell out of there um i mean i listened to horrible things through the walls um so you know so it was weird i didn't notice it until i was photographing it and it dawned on me that like that that is you know i'm restoring this house that's 130 years old but there's also something i'm restoring of myself at the same time because that that those areas that i'm leaving exposed are you know are that raw exposure of my own self in some way i suppose i don't know like being overly analytical about it no i think you're on you're on to something yeah like i agree it it hit me like like a ton of bricks as I was just, you know, taking a photograph of this thing, you know, like just a pretty picture or whatever. Right. And it, it really hit me how how that little that part of the wall is is me in a nutshell, you know, because it's got a coat of paint on it, yep. but the coat of paint is also peeling to reveal something underneath that's that's you know, that's worn down, but it's still really pretty. And then, you know, what's being put over it is preserving it. So it's just this like, you know, I don't know. It just felt like a mirror of myself. So anyway, all this blah, blah, blah to say, I put it on Instagram <laughs> with like, with anxiety. I'm like, I'm like, well, who needs to read this shit about me? But, um, but at the same time, you know, when you get comments back from people who thank you for telling a story like that, then, you know, and even if it's, you know, if it's two people that, that, that maybe grew up similarly to how I did, right. then then I think that's that's really special because it was, you know, people who gave me the opportunity to see something 
differently and to see that I can be successful and who gave me a shot or, you know, talked about something in a way that I was able to understand. That's why I'm here now. That's why I have the career that I have, why I have the life that I have and, you know, and, and the luxuries that I now have. So, you know, so as much as social media scares the hell out of me, I think, you know, I'm trying to, to embrace it in a way that's just as honest to who I am as I can be, perhaps. Yeah. Well, I, I, think, I, think, you're doing, I think you're doing a good job. <laughs> Thank I you. I mean that. <laughs> well, this was really, really, really special. Uh, I mean, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Um, is there any stuff you want to add or mention before we wrap? Um, I don't know. Thank you so much for having me. This yeah. has been really fun. Good. Well, of course. I'm glad you came on. All right. Good talking to you. <laughs> you too. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by Tan Lines. If you like the show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast or email us at info at blamopod.com. Still want to connect? Join our Slack group and chat with other friends of the pod. Just email us and say, hey, I want to join the Slack and we'll get you in. Thanks again. See you soon.